Looking to 2013, well, as we come to a close of this year, new year, we always look forward to that next year. But for a second, as the year winds down and we look to the past, for some folks, it's a time of last-minute financial planning. That's the biggest thing on their mind. In fact, if you listen to the government, there's so much concern over the fall here and what's going to happen, and everybody's talking about financial planning. Uh, for some, it's a time to get away from the cold weather. I spoke to folks this morning that just get back from a, uh, in fact, a uh, wonderful time away and on a cruise, and others are going away on a cruise and so forth. For some, that's what a new year is, and that's what it's about. For others, it's just another day. It just happens to be uh, December 31st and then January 1st and into another year. For some, it's just another opportunity for partying and to get together with family. And on and on it goes. Uh, interestingly enough, as you look around you and observe the world we live in, often you come into the term the year in review. I ran into that a few times uh, on newspapers, magazines, TV, and the media, all different aspects. It's the year in review as they look back over the year and what has happened and what may happen in the future. Or sometimes we just take time ourselves and look back over the year and think about the accomplishments that happen and the trials uh, that we've faced, difficulties sometimes with health, uh, loss of a loved one, major events that took place in the, in the past year. But so the year is often a lot of different things when we look back. Uh, but when we look forward and we see the start of a new year, and now we think of 2013, Oftentimes, it's uh, something that's of hope. We look at it as maybe it'll be a better year. Maybe it'll be a year of change. And sometimes, because of situations that already exist within a family, as they look forward to a new year, they already know that they can anticipate concern. Concern because of job, loss of job. Concern because their health is not good and it, the prospects are not that good for their health as they look to the future. And their family situation, there are difficulties and they have to confront certain situations. And it's going to be difficult as we move into 2013. Uh, for others, as they look ahead, it's uh, very special occasions. For students, for example, in our own academy, some of them are looking forward. This is their graduation year. Uh, others, it may be a wedding year that's coming up or a reunion of the family or a reunion with a class, whatever it might be. But we all go through those normal situations of looking back and looking ahead. And I would dare say we also, probably most of us or all of us, get involved in some type of recommitment and resolution. That's very common uh, to do at this time of year. And as we look to a new year, maybe it'll be a fresh start in our lives spiritually. It'll be a new time for dieting in our lives. We're really going to stick to that diet but we have to wait till after the party, so we'll start January 2nd. And uh, then there's the exercise, and you know, but I have to wait a little bit longer so the weather gets warmer, and then we'll start the exercise program in the March and, and so forth. Maybe it's, uh, it's, like I said, spiritually, something we want to get victory over. We want to get victory over that sin that's been in our life. Maybe it's uh, just speeding down the highway. Maybe it's... Uh, uh, a problem with gossip. Maybe it's a problem with lying. Maybe it's a problem with drinking. Maybe it's a problem with pornography. Maybe it's a problem with anger that's in our life or whatever it is. And we, we really are hoping that as we go to this year, this is when we're going to get the victory in, the, in this coming year. 
Or, you know, Pastor Dan just talked about reading through the Bible, and I looked at 2013, and I'll make a resolution that I'm going to read through the Bible. I'm going to try that program for the year. Or I'm going to attend church more. We really haven't been getting out to the church services. We really want to start attending more, and we'll do that in two, 2013. Or maybe it's a situation we're going to serve. So we really need to get out, and we need to, need to serve other people. You know, we need to have more family time. We haven't had family. I could go on and on and on. But oftentimes what happens is it's a bunch of good intentions. And in reality, temporarily, we start into these things, but most of the time, no, though not always, they die off. And uh, that's what happens. So how are we to look ahead? What are we to do as we end a year and we look to a new year? Those things are part of a normal process. What does the scriptures say? Well. The scriptures do say a lot of things. I'm going to give you a big summary right in the beginning. It tells us, first of all, not to worry about tomorrow. Why? You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't. And neither do I. You might think you do, but it's very possible in this room there are people that are not going to see 2013. We just don't know. Uh, and the scriptures say, sufficient unto the day is its own evil. The scriptures say, we say today and tomorrow we're going to go have great gain and I'm going to repair, uh, prepare for my retirement plan and I'm going to start this and I'm going to build this nest egg and I'm going to buy that property and I'm going to change my business this way and that could change tonight. You really don't know. And yet the scriptures do tell us to plan. It says it's kind of foolish to try to plan to build a house and not count the cost and if you don't count the cost then at the end you find out you didn't have enough money to finish. It says that we should leave an inheritance to our children and to our grandchildren, so that means that there's planning involved. Even Paul, as you look through the book of Romans, said, I plan to come here and I plan to go there. And so he had plans. So the scriptures kind of have a balance. We're not to worry about tomorrow, but at the same time, we ought to plan. And I think the real key, just for a moment, turn with me to your Bible, in your Bibles to James chapter 4. We're going to come right back to Timothy, but James chapter 4. This is just to lay the groundwork. As we do get ready for 2013, I think the general principle is found in verses 13 through 15 of James chapter 4. It says, come now, ye who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city, spend a year, and engage in business, and make a profit. And there could be some in this room that are thinking that way right now. Yet, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You don't could die today. That's what it's saying. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Kind of a realistic perspective, right, from Scripture? Then what does he say? Indeed, here's what, you ought to say, very important expression, four words, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, it doesn't say not to plan because it says, then we will live and we will do this or we will do that. And the key is that we are to be dependent upon the Lord. We are to make plans. We are not to worry and be concerned about everything tomorrow. But as we make those plans, we are dependent upon the Lord for everything. We're actually dependent upon the Lord for our very breath. But we need to look to him. If the Lord allows us, we'll do this and we'll do that. And that's really a summary of how you really want to be looking at 2013. 
but are there other scriptures? There's plenty of scriptures that we could be looking at. But this morning, the text before us, I, I think, helps us. And I think it's very important that as we look back and as we look ahead, uh, not only can we get direction from here, but we want to be realistic. Oftentimes, when people are looking ahead to 213, even with their, their commitments or, as I said, in their planning and uh, they're going to do this and do that, what happens is it's not realistic goals and it's not really something that can be achieved. But we want to look at it objectively and we want to look at it realistically. Now, in our text, in doing that, I want to tell you right up front, the first part of it is pretty discouraging. But it ends very encouraging. And I think if you really want to look to 213, you've got to be realistic. We've got to be realistic in the world that we're living in as to what things are like and what it's going to be like and how we can be victorious and be depending upon the Lord. So let's look at the text. I've given you a simple outline there in uh, your bulletin. In verses 1 through 9, to begin with, I entitled it, Be Alert and Avoid certain things. Be alert. He starts off the chapter by the word, with the word but. It's a contrast. It's a contrast that goes back to chapter 2, a number of things that he said. And he talked about the bondservant very recently and the man of God in chapter 2, verse 2, verse 24, sorry, verse 24 to the end, where it says the bondservant must not be, you don't be quarrelsome, you be to be kind to all, uh, you're to teach and be patient when you're wronged. Boy, we could give a whole lesson on that if we just wanted to stay right there. And then we need to depend upon God for God to open up people's understanding when we do point things out, verses 25 and 26. So in contrast to that, what he says is realize this. In other words, it's the word know. It's gnosko. We need to know something. We need to be alert to this. What should we expect in the world that we are living in? And in writing to Timothy, Paul is going off the scene. <coughs> Excuse me. And as he's going off the scene, and Timothy's going to be left with responsibility, he wants him to have a realistic view of how he is to serve God and be a testimony for God. And he starts by saying, realize this, that in the last days, verse 1, now, what is that? He's talking about the last days. Now, when he talks about the last days, what does he mean, the last days? That is a period that started, really, in the days of the apostles and continues until Revelation 19. We are in the last days. Paul was in the last days. In fact, I'll give you some references without turning. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, it refers in verses 16 and 17 to the beginning of the last days and fulfillment of Joel to some extent. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, it says specifically, it is now the last days, speaking of it while the apostle was still living. In Hebrews chapter 1, you might recall this, in the beginning of the chapter it says, in times past, God spoke to us in many ways and by many different prophets, but in these last days, he spoke to us by his son. And so they were living in the last days. 
So we are still in the last days. So it is until the Lord returns. We're in the last days now. The apostles are in the last days. Is there ever going to be an end to them? Yes. When the Lord returns. And I will tell you this. It is obvious to anyone that can add. We are approximately 2,000 years closer to Revelation 19 than when Paul was. And if he was living in the last days, we are even further, 2,000 years or so, further in the last days, closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are in <clears throat> the last days, and people talk about that all the time. It's obvious from looking around. Well, Paul was in the last days as well. But it is obvious that we are now 2,000 years closer. So what does he say? I want you to know what it's like in the last days. The closer and closer you get, pardon me, till the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it going to be like? Smooth and a bed of roses. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Right? Is that what you're witnessing in the world you're living in? Is that what you're going to witness in 2013? Let's be honest. You're going to hear that the next couple of days. Let's just pray that there's going to be peace on earth and everybody's going to love. And I just heard a, a thing on the radio yesterday that maybe this will be the year in which all this particular disease for children would be wiped out and gone and will never exist again. Is that really what it's going to be like in 2013? You say, well, Pastor Dan, it could be. Well, let's see what he says. He says, I want you to realize, now notice this, he starts very simple. In the last days, difficult times will come. Well, that's encouraging. That's realistic. What should we expect in 2013? Difficult times, that word is very simple. It means grievous. <coughs> Excuse me, it means violent. It means dangerous. In the last days, and we are living there, what should we expect? All this peace on earth, that war is going to go away, that disease is going to disappear, that people and your neighbors are just going to be friendly? Is that what you saw in Connecticut a little while ago? Is that what you saw? How tragic is mankind? To get to the place where somebody lights a house on fire and waits for the people that are risking their lives to save that house for the people, and he stands there and kills them. What a society we're living in. What should we expect? That everything's just going to go away in 2013? No. Difficult times are going to come. What is it going to be like? Make it practical so I can understand it, Paul. I don't think he can be any more practical than he is in those verses. In verses 2, you look at them through verse 4, I summarize it this way. Paul is saying to Timothy, in the last days, I want you to know that things are going to be very difficult. And the first thing he points out is people are going to be self-centered and ungodly. That's what he says. For men will be lovers of self. Listen, in 2012, we witnessed that. 
Do you think in 2013 that is going away? It's going to get worse. People are self-centered. Nobody is to blame for anything. You think about it and be honest in your own life. People will blame their parents, the atmosphere they grew up in. They will blame drugs. They will blame all kinds of things rather than turning around and saying, I'm the wicked person. It's my uncle's fault. It's my aunt's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's this person's fault. And that does not excuse the actions. We are so self-centered. That's what he says. Lovers of money. You don't think that's the case today? And you know what the scriptures say. It isn't money that's the root of all evil, right? What's the root of all evil? The love of money. And if you want to understand what that verse means, it's the love, the thriving after. I got to have more. And this is it. This is, this is my opportunity. Are you watching even sports today? Look what money's doing to people. And look at if that's really satisfied them when they're going out and killing themselves. Heroes for the kids. Money's everything to people today. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. We don't have any of that today. Really? You know what's sad? You've got adults who don't even respect and honor their parents in the name of God. That's how bad it's getting. That's how bad it's getting. Ungrateful. Huh. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I heard someone say very recently, I don't want that junk. It was a Christmas present. It wasn't in my direct family. I, I was shocked. Yeah, they got me that. They could have got me this. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I was a young person that said that. Young person. Unholy. Unloving. Irreconcilable. Malicious. Gossips. Everybody's talking about everything else. Without self-control. Boy, do we live in that day and age. Brutal. Do I have to go back to Connecticut like I did last week? Haters of good. Nobody wants that. Treacherous, reckless, conceited. Lovers of pleasure. How many people will put pleasure above the things of God? That's what it's talking about. I just want pleasure, 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 and more of it. It's amazing. Self-centered ungodliness. That's what we'll expect. Putting self above God, putting money in materialism, being arrogant, having a sense of superiority, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, all of that's just in the beginning. Not only that, the next thing is false godliness. Verse 5, holding the form of godliness. There is so much of this today. False sense of godliness but denying the power. And right up there in the front of it is legalism. 
doing this, doing that, wearing this, wearing that, going here, going there. And I'm not saying there isn't standards. You know me by now, or should. But legalism produces the form of godliness when there's nothing in the heart and life. And so does the entertainment world. There is so much of Christianity that is nothing more than entertaining. And it's coming to see the show. I have literally seen churches in New England advertising that way. Come see our band. If that's why you're going to church, stay home. You want to come to hear the word of God. You want to come to know what the word of God says. What he says is what's important. Not entertainment. We're saturated with form of godliness. But no power. The power will be seen in the lives that are changed. The lives that live for God. They take advantage of the weak, verses 6 and 7. And I'm only summarizing this. That's what we can expect. Be aware in the last days, people are going to be self-centered. They're going to be looking like they're godly when they're not. They're going to be taking advantage of the weak. How do they take advantage of the weak? You can read the verses because if I get down in each verse, I'll never get through it. But verses 6 and 7. They take advantage of the weak financially. And they play particularly even on the elderly here. Oh, if you give to this, you're giving to God. They take the money when the people don't even have the money. They also play on women that are vulnerable emotionally. That happens today. Women, and that's what it's dealing with in the passage. Women who have maybe even committed sin in the past and were involved in an immoral life and these things, and now they feel guilty because someone in leadership tries to take advantage of them and leads them down a path that they shouldn't be going, and they become vulnerable. They become guilty of their past sins, and they get abused. And people take advantage of the emotional instability of women who have had struggles, and that's going on all over the place today. Spiritually, people use the scriptures, and then they use the scriptures wrongly, not rightly divided. Listen, anybody can quote scripture. And we're living in a day and age in which this audience knows more scripture than people knew 20 years ago because you have it in so many sources. Just because you can quote scripture and say the Bible also says this doesn't mean you've rightly divided it or given godly counsel to somebody. Most of the counsel that comes is psychological. Listen, the word psychology deals with the soul. You can't possibly give somebody a soul guidance without knowing the word of God. I don't care what principles you learn from the world. And there's good ones. But you leave the word of God out of it, you haven't given any effective long-term, and I'm talking long-term for eternal life, guidance to anybody. They will oppose the truth, verses 8 and 9. Look at it. They oppose the Bible, divine truth. You don't think we're living in a day and age like that? Nobody wants to hear anything to do with truth. They want the Bible squashed. They don't even want to have prayer except when it's convenient. They're opposed to the truth and anyone who stands for the truth. What do you think you are? And they'll, they'll cause you and claim, and it's against Christianity, it really is, to be the claim that you're a bigot, they're a claim that you're narrow-minded. I don't care what people say. 
What God says is what's important. You have to stand for the truth. And what does it tell you? What's the bottom line here? Here's what you're to do in 2013. Avoid such. Look at verse 5. And that's talking about, in verse 5, those that have the form of godliness, and you look at it, and what they're saying with their lips. You know, they're praising God for this that's going on, that's going on. Then you're looking and you're saying, yeah, I don't see them reading the Bible. Yeah, they don't go to church. They don't serve anywhere. Yeah, their family is in array. What, what are they talking about? It's a form of godliness. It says avoid. It doesn't say get in with them. It says avoid such men as these. And it's dealing with false teachers in the context here. It really is, if you look at the whole context. We had to avoid them. That's in the middle voice, and I'm only pointing that out because of this. You are to make yourself turn away no matter how appealing it is. That's the bottom line. No matter how appealing this false godliness is, this taking advantage, this self-centeredness might be, and these pursuits, you are to yourself turn away and avoid getting anywhere near it. That's guidance for 2013. You can expect that people are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to pursue more money, more pleasure, take advantage of more people, have a form of godliness, and have no godliness in the life whatsoever. And you want to look to 2013 and be successful? Avoid it. It's not going to go away, but avoid it. Second, verses 10 to 13, be realistic, but be encouraged. What do you mean by that? You will face persecution. You say, thanks a lot, Pastor Dan. That's real encouraging. 213, I'm going to face persecution. Yes, you will. There's one condition, though. What is that? What is it? All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Look at it. Verse 12. If you desire to live godly, you will lose friends. You will be persecuted. You want me to be honest? You don't face too much persecution? Are you really living for the Lord? You still have all those friends and buddies that want to get involved in the very things that we've talked about, and that's your crowd? And you're not facing persecution for them or being talked about by them? Maybe you're not living as godly as you think you are. If you live godly, you will be persecuted. The apostles didn't have to go look for persecution. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't go around and say, I hope I'm going to get persecuted today. He lived for the Father. The apostles lived for the Lord, and they got persecution. You just share the gospel, and you watch what happens. You just live godly, and you make stands and say, you know what? I'm not going to get involved in that. You'll face persecution. You get a situation that you get involved in and you talk to somebody and you say, you know, I understand that situation. I've listened carefully, but the bottom line is it's your sin. It's my what? It's your sin that did that. You'll never hear from them again unless God changes the heart. You will face persecution. Don't go to that person for counsel. All they're going to do is stick the Bible in your face. They're going to tell you what God's word says. You will face persecution. That's realistic. 
What are you to do? Be encouraged. Why? Look at the example of Paul. That in, look at the verses, 10-4. Paul says, you know what happened. The Lord delivered me out of all of it. He said he was able to endure it, and out of them all, verse 11, the Lord rescued me. Is the Lord going to protect you? Is the Lord going to rescue you? Absolutely. He will take care of you. He did it for others. The Lord delivers. He will never forsake us. He will never leave us. And if you live a godly life, you might face persecution. No, you will face persecution eventually. You will have hard times, but as you continue living for the Lord, the Lord will provide. Things will even get worse. Don't be surprised. That's what he goes on and says. He says, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. How encouraging is that? There are people in, standing in pulpits. There are people that are leading ministries, and they are leading people from bad to worse. And they are taking their money. They're nothing more than charlatans. And they're preying on people. And there's people that know the language, and they know what to say. They know to tell you to read your Bible. They know to tell you to do this and do that. But there's no form of godliness in their own life. There's no re reality. Imposters, listen. Let me make it practical. I've been talking about pulpits because it's dealing with false teachers. Do you really think that in 2013 you're going to get less people saying that they know the Lord? I don't think so. I think you're going to run into more and more people saying, I know the Lord. Oh, trusted in Christ? I trusted in Christ. Well, how come you never read the Bible? Well, you know, I, I don't have time. When a baby comes into the world, does a baby ask for food? Mm hmm Cries until it gets it. Is there real spiritual life when nobody wants the Bible? I don't think so. Is there real spiritual life when they never want to serve? I don't think so. Why? Scriptures say so. You're going to get more and more people saying, oh, I know the Lord. Talked to somebody recently. And that's what they said. And I, I asked them, I said, do you know the Lord? Yeah, I know the Lord. And the first thing they started talking about was Roman Catholicism. I said, hmm. I said, I have a Roman Catholic background. I said, do you still believe those things? Well, yeah. Let me tell you something. It isn't Christ plus good works. It's Christ alone. And you may say that you know Christ, but if you're saying you trusted in Christ and you're a Christian and you're still believing that you're hoping you're going to get to heaven by good works, you ain't one. Now why? Because I was mean? No, because that person needs to hear salvation. But more and more you're going to hear people professing. More and more they're going to be saying that. And it's going to be deceptive. And things will continue that way. Leaders, professing Christians... Remember what the Lord said when he returns. Will he find faith on the earth? Not professing faith, true faith. Remember, you've heard it from me if it wasn't 50 times, if it wasn't once, that one of the most frightening passages of scripture is Matthew. Because when people stand before God, they're going to say, didn't I do all these things in your name? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we do this? And all it is is their good works. We did, we did, we did, we did. And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me into hell fire. 
You don't know me and I don't know you. That's what it's going to be like when he comes back on the earth. A lot of professions, very little reality. It's going to get worse. You say, Pastor Dan, you just discouraged me from 2013. I don't know if I want to go into 2013. Well, let me tell you how to be victorious. You ought to be confident and equipped. How? That's verses 14 to 17. Our confidence is in the word of God. Our confidence is looking at the examples of such people like Paul. Look at what it says. I'll read these verses. You, however, continue in the things you've learned and became convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Where does that learning come from? Well, it came from Paul, but it came from God as well. And he's pointing them back. If you have confidence that you think stuff's going to go away in the world, that sin's just going to disappear, and mankind's going to become better in 213, <clears throat> and false professions are going to get fewer and fewer, you're kidding yourself. It's going to get worse in 2013. But that's no need to be discouraged. You say, what do you mean? Because you know what the scriptures say. And two things here. It says, first of all, look to the others who have given you examples. Know who you've learned them from. And then he says, from a child, you have known the sacred scriptures. Now, for here's the first one, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. If you're here today without Christ, the first thing is you need to see that salvation comes strictly through Jesus Christ. And it is the scriptures that lead you to that, not religion. It is only Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. There isn't anyone else that you can come to the Father through him, through anyone else. It's only through him. He's the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is found in him. And if you've come to Christ, it was the scriptures that led you to that. Oh, God might have used somebody else in your life. Praise the Lord for that. But that's the beginning point. That's what brings us to faith in Christ. And now you get saved. How does that happen? Through the scriptures. So we remember who we've, who's taught us that. We remember that God's taught us that. Remember that God's given us the scriptures. And what do we do? Look to the scriptures for your walk in 2013. Where do you get that, Pastor Dan? Verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired. All of it. Not some of it. Don't let our society get you to put this book away because it says it's an antique. Don't get discouraged by a society that says, Paul didn't understand the day and age we live in. Things are different. This doesn't apply to us today. I just heard that on a TV program recently. That a lot of the scriptures, it's just old. It just doesn't apply to us today. Really? Read it. Read it. All scripture came from God, and watch this. It's profitable. Look at verse 16. For teaching, for reproof, for correction. Now that hurts. Yes, it does. But it trains you in righteousness. What does that mean? It trains you in how to walk with God. It trains you in what is right and wrong. And that's what the world needs. That is why we come together, in case you didn't know that. We come together collectively once a week here. Why? To learn the word of God so that we would learn how to walk in righteousness as believers in the world that we live in, which is filled with all that stuff that we read about. Because that's what you're going to face. 
You're going to face that at work. You're going to face that in your neighborhood. You're going to fa face that in this country, in this state. That's what you are going to continuously see. And how do I live beyond that? How do I live godly in it? By the word of God. By knowing what it says and applying it. Look at verse 17. The scriptures are given so that we can walk in righteousness, so the man of God might be adequate. What? Equipped. That you might have the right equipment for every good work. One of the Christmas presents that one of my daughters got uh, was to, had to do with climbing. She likes to climb. And she was given some equipment so that the type of climbing she would do, she would have the right equipment for that. Some like to snowboard. And if you got a snowboarder in the family, you don't give them a tube. That's for sledding. It's not the right equipment. God's given us the right equipment. And you see, people are trying to battle things such as, listen, self-centeredness, such as, listen, the love of money, such as the form of godliness, the very things that are in this chapter. They're trying to combat that and fight that with the wrong equipment and think they're going to get victory. Wrong. All scripture was given by inspiration, and that's what's profitable to help us to mature, to help us to be properly equipped so we know how to make decisions to love our wives, how to make decisions how to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ, how to handle that situation when there is bad news that comes with health, and where we can find comfort, and where we can find strength, <clears throat> and how, excuse me, to witness to that neighbor, and how to handle our in-laws, and how to handle our neighbors, and how to choose proper friends, and how to make decisions in life. It is the scriptures that give us the guidelines. And so what we're saying, you can have victorious. Why? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4 for a minute. I won't turn to Psalm 119, but I know you know verse 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. And then verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? Help me. So that I might not sin against you. How am I going to have a relationship with God and walk with him? I hide God's word in my heart. Why? Hebrews chapter 4. Let's look at verse 11. Therefore, conclusion, let us be diligent. What? To enter into rest so that no man will fall. How do we do that? Through following the same example of disobedience. We don't want to do that. What's he saying? Israel was an example to us. They didn't walk with God. They failed to trust him in the difficulties. They didn't have enough food. They didn't look to God. They complained. They didn't have enough water. They didn't look to God. They complained. They didn't like the leadership that God provided. They complained. They didn't like the look of the land because there were giants in the land. They complained. They didn't look to God. That's the example. And he said they disobeyed, they disobeyed, they disobeyed, they disobeyed. That's not what we had to do. But we had to pay attention to the word of God. Verse 12. 
For the word of God, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far, isn't this unbelievable? Piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, of the, both the joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. What is able to judge what's going on in your intents, in your heart, or my heart? The word of God. Why do we need the word of God? You know as well as I do. When I sit there or I sit someplace else in a class and someone's teaching and I get convicted, why is that? It's because the person's teaching the word of God and it just, ooh, that hurt. Ooh, that hurt. Ooh, that was good. Why? It's the word of God doing the work. That's why I need it. The word of God is able to penetrate, penetrate into my thoughts, into my motives. And notice verse 13. There's no creature hidden from its sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to do. He's the one we're going to have to answer to. And so what they were encouraged is they need the word of God, and when God told Israel what to do, they disobeyed. But if they had paid attention to the word of God, they would have had conviction, and they would have entered into the rest that God had for them because they would have gone into the land. How can I enter into the practical rest that God has for me as a Christian of trusting in him and resting in him? You know, it's not a secret formula. You need to rely in 2013 on the word of God. Know the word of God. Summarization, as you look to 213, 2013, be alert. Be aware that things are going to get worse. There's going to be more ungodliness. That's not going to be avoided. If you think 213 is going to present a year that's more godly in the world that we live in, you're not being realistic. Things are going to get worse and worse. Teachers will be promoting more sin. Teachers in the guise of godliness. It's going to get worse. Be realistic. If you live for God, you're going to lose friends. You're going to face persecution. But who do you want to please? But be confident. Can I really be confident in 2013? Absolutely. How can I be confident? How can I have the right equipment? Know what the word of God says. That's a great reason to take that Bible when you leave today and start reading through in the year program. Know what it says. I can't obey it if I don't know it. And then walk with God. How do I do that? According to the word. If you walk with God, you'll still have trials. You'll still have difficulties. You'll still face persecution. But you will grow. And you will be the person that God wants you to be in 2013. And if you haven't come to salvation, that's where it starts. Because it's through the word of God that we learn that salvation is found in the Messiah. And it's in the word of God that we learn how God wants us to walk as believers. So my prayer for you as a pastor, my prayer for myself, for this congregation, for individuals, is that we look at 2013, we look back and see what God's done this year. We look ahead with anticipation of victory. Not because of the world. Because I look ahead realistically to that. 
Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse in the last days until Christ comes back. And you're seeing it in the news every day. However, I don't need to be discouraged because they will be better for me if I walk with God. And how can I do that? By remembering the things that I've learned. Remember that God's the one teaching me through his word. Get into the word of God. Learn the word of God. And then the simple song, trust and obey. When I hide God's word in my heart and I apply it to my life, I will walk worthy to what God's called me to do. And my prayer is for 2013 that we will do that individually and collectively. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your love for us. I thank you and praise you that while the world has nothing to offer, really, it's got discouraging scenes to offer. Oh, there might be temporarily some peace between nations and temporarily a time in which things are controlled and man controls disease in certain areas. But Father, as a whole, you tell us that the centeredness of man, self-centeredness, his pursuit of money, his pursuit of self-interest and sin will not decrease. It'll become worse and worse. But Father, for the Christian, that shouldn't be discouraging because we have a God who's able to deliver us out of all of it, that even though we face persecution, is able to hold us up, that as we learn the word of God, it is able to be hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against you, that we will grow and mature and be thoroughly equipped and able to face the world with all that it throws our way once we have God's word hidden in our heart. We thank you for that, and I pray that as we look to 2013, that individually we'd see people coming to Christ, we'd see others who know Christ desiring to walk and really grow, and that, Father, as a church, we would see ourselves change and conform even more and more to the image of Christ so that it would be a joy to your heart as this testimony stands for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we close by taking our songbooks and turning to number 127? Let's stand up and sing Knowing You. As Pastor Dan mentioned, knowing the Word of God and knowing God himself is really the key to walking with him. So let's sing this together. As we were dismissed, number 127, just the first verse. All I once held dear built my life upon all this world reveres and wars to thought gain I have counted loss spent and worthless now compared to this knowing you Jesus knowing you there is no greater thing you're my you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord.
Thank you. You're dismissed.